This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we break down the reintroduction of FlexCash in ONTAP. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm sitting in the studio and I actually have somebody in the studio with me today. I'm not all alone. Uh, Chris Hurley is joining us today. And uh, Chris, if you could tell everyone what you do here at NetApp and how to reach you. Yeah, Justin. Hey, uh, I'm Chris Hurley. I'm the tech marketing engineer for NAS and now Flex Cash. And I'm available on Twitter at, at @averageguyx. All right. Also, on the phone with us today, we have couple of people from Sunnyvale. Uh, one of them is the product manager for FlexCash. I've worked with Shreya before several times, including with Flex Group Volumes. Hi, Shreya. Can you tell everybody what you do here at NetApp and how to reach you? Hi, Justin. I'm Shreya Paramkusum. I am the product manager for FlexCash, and uh, you can reach me at Shreya at NetApp.com. Wow, you got Shreya at NetApp.com? There's nobody else yes. that thought to get that? Fancy. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty good, actually. Also on the phone with us today is Pranoop Irasani, and he is also in Sunnyvale. He is a technical director. Pranoop, if you could kind of give give us more detail about what you do here at NetApp and how to reach you. Yeah. Yeah, my name is uh, Pranoop Irasani, and I'm a senior technical director for ONTAP, uh, primarily covering uh, overall NAS architecture and also look at FlexCash and uh, uh, some future stuff. Um, how can you reach me? I mean, my first name, uh, P-R-A-N-O-O-P at NetApp.com. All right. So this episode, if you didn't catch what Pranoop said, is going to be about a new feature in ONTAP 9.5. And while I say it's a new feature, it's kind of an old feature as well. So you know the whole wedding thing, something new, something borrowed. <laughs> and NetApp, <laughs> NetApp is blue. And blue. And blue. We're the we're blue. So uh, we've brought back FlexCash. So FlexCash is now available in ONTAP 9.5, and we're going to cover that in this episode in as much detail as we possibly can within uh, less than an hour. So... Uh, Chris, to, for starters, 10,000-foot view, what is FlexCache? FlexCache is basically a sparse volume. So you take your origin data volume, you take your data, and create a FlexCache of it, which is sparse. And you can – it's a read-write replica where you don't have to do any any prep, any anything. You know, it's, it's there for you to read and write wherever you want. So – why did we create this then? I mean, don't we already have volumes available for this sort of thing? Well, yeah, we've got volumes available, but we've got, you know, we've got SnapMirror, which is read-only. And there's a lot of there's a lot of demand out there for a, what people are calling now a global namespace, right? You've got your compute in one area, you've got your users in another area, and your data in a whole third area. So you want to get the data off to where it needs to be to make it faster for your users, for your compute. So we've often referred to clustered ONTAP or ONTAP in general as a global namespace. And it's kind of been a misnomer because it wasn't truly global, <laughs> right? So, But now we are truly global, right? We can span multiple sites, multiple locations. So what sort of use cases have people been coming up with, Shreya? 
some of the main use cases we have seen people benefit are um, EDA, like the semiconductor workload. Workflows where you have the simulation design, all of them. A lot of the workload really is small files, a lot of metadata reads, a lot of reads, and reading the same files over and over again, distributing tools to multiple locations, geographical uh, offices, data centers, remote offices. That is one use case. FlexCache really shines in that use case where you can have multiple mount points and remove the performance bottlenecks uh, from the data sets. Uh, another use case is media. We have been seeing media rendering as a very data intensive, uh, like a compute intensive work, workload. Again, small files, a lot of designers trying to access the same artifacts and when they're creating these movies. Um, and each movie is made up of frames and shots. Each shot, each frame is actually made up of multiple artifacts. Think of a sunny day, you have a cloud, you have blades of grass, each of them. So when they're actually creating these movies, everybody's trying to access those same artifacts, creating a bottleneck. And usually designers are not located in a single location. They're spread across multiple locations. So FlixCache really helps in spreading the uh, data from a single volume to creating multiple mount points and spreading the users across these multiple mount points. Another one, which we ourselves at NetApp have been benefiting and piloting this, is distributing bills. So we have our main offices, main engineering locations here in Sunnyvale and you guys with RTP and uh, Bangalore. And engineers keep on developing these codes and are working on the bills. So what you could do with FlexCache is create a cache of sparse volume from, say, Sunnyvale to Bangalore, and then so the Bangalore users can have a local copy instead of having to go with a van. So it's been really helpful in reducing the van latencies, just increasing the performance. Those are some of the use cases I can think of from the top of my mind. So when you were talking about media, you mentioned the word cloud, and that got me thinking. How is what we're doing here any, does it, does it replace the need for cloud, or does it enhance the need for cloud, or does cloud fit in at all with this? Cloud will definitely fit in uh, with this. It is on the roadmap. Uh, right now, in 9.5, we support caching origins and caches to be located on any platforms, uh, AFS, PaaS, or ONTAP Select. So you could definitely have ONTAP Select your um, origins and caches running on it. So your remote offices can be really sparse with like just an ONTAP Select server running up, setting that up, and then you know caching the data instead of having a full copy of data on the remote office. Okay. So, Pranup, this is not the first time we've had something called FlexCache. Um, could you give me a rundown of how this is different from what we had in 7 mode or the previous release of ONTAP before the clustered ONTAP? Yeah, you're right, Justin. Right? This is not the first time we have had this product. In fact, I mean, we, we had a feature like this, you know, almost going back to like 10, 15 years ago, right, in the in the legacy 7 mode system. Um, the reason is different. I think the, the technology uh, that we have used, uh, the under under the infrastructure that we have used, very new. That's one aspect of it. Second, we are not limiting the use cases. So I think we needed an architecture that uh, stands to the uh, scale as well as the expectations with the new workloads that we can bring in. Uh, uh, my expectation is that you know we will, uh, in, unlike seven mode, we will actually support NFS v4 and SIS protocols along with it. So you should be able to seamlessly distribute the data across multiple sites and be able to access the data with any protocol of your choice. Uh, and third, I think we want to expand the use cases beyond our traditional thinking of uh, NetApp being a storage uh, vendor facilitating storage of data, right? We want to go more into the software-defined space and be able to build a seamless uh, global name space across multiple sized sites with edge devices and everything, right? So for some of these use cases, I think, you know, uh, you know, changing the architecture a bit uh, more into the realm of write-back architecture where 
you really don't see the uh, you don't feel the van latencies uh, from a capability standpoint i think is very critical for us so i think that's actually in that sense you know the new architecture enables that and that's why it's very different so speaking of that architecture my understanding is that we have a flex group hiding under there uh, as the cache Absolutely. volume so why would we choose flex group over flexball in this case hey i mean we we have been we we have been telling customers about this i think the way I look at it is FlexProof actually gives us a scale out on the capacity as well as the performance dimensions, uh, which solves the problems that we have had with FlexWalls uh, historically. Um, for us, if you want to start anything new, I think FlexProof has been uh, ha- has been the the default architecture that we pick. Right? Uh, by having a FlexProof in there, FlexCache automatically can scale and capacity as well as performance dimensions. And not only that, you know, uh, our vision to actually look at caching. Uh, as a value add, uh, will also actually um, get us to use cases where I probably want to cache data from multiple sites uh, into the same particular data container, right? And to me, FlexGroup actually, by infinitely scaling in performance and capacity dimensions, it automatically gives you that. So did you notice how I was able to turn this podcast into a FlexGroup podcast? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you're, you're, a, you're a big proponent of FlexGroup, and we That's understand right. that. There you go. Okay, let's get back to FlexCache. So, Chris, um, <laughs> could you give me a little more technical detail about how FlexCache is architected and, and how it's supposed to work within ONTAP? Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, back to FlexScripts, you're, br- you're bringing this back around to yourself, aren't you? No, it's not about <laughs> me. It's about the technology. <laughs> Well, under the covers, um, the FlexCache, the the protocol where the origin actually talks to the FlexCache and the FlexCache talks back to the origin is remote access layer, which is the protocol behind FlexGroups. Was it say FlexGroups? Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah, okay. I Just said checking. FlexGroups. Um, what, was, what was it in 7 mode? I know it was something different then. Yeah, so, uh, 7 mode was NRV, which was NetApp remote volume, which was kind of NFS V3-ish. Um, and that's what limited uh, the seven mode technology, right? It, it it was NFS v3. We couldn't do a lot of the advanced stuff with NRV. Now with RAL and you know FlexGroup is supporting SMBs. FlexGroups are supporting all these all these other features. We can put that directly into FlexCache. So tell me a little more about this remote access layer. What does it do, and how does it work? Um, so it's a way it's a way to keep all the reads and all the inodes where where the files are if they're cached if they're on the origin it, it's a way to keep all that um, all that coordinated so when you when you do a flex cache when you create a flex cache right it's empty it's a sparse volume it starts out as a sparse volume and then a client decides to read a file well brawl is a thing that keeps it together to know that a the origin knows that the cache has file A, and now the cache knows it's got file A. Keeps all that coordinated. When uh, there's a change on file A, the origin knows, hey, you know, cache one has this file cached. Now I got to go invalidate. It's it's kind of like a delegation, right? Just got to go invalidate that delegation. And the next time somebody reads file A on the cache, it's it knows it's got to go back to the origin. So can the origin be multiple volumes, or does it have to be a single volume? Right now, it's a single volume, right? It's got to be a single flex vol. Okay, so single flex vol will map to single flex group. Right. So with the flex group cache, 
what happens if something happens to that Flex Group cache and, and it goes offline? Are we still able to access data? You're still, you're still talking Flex Group, right? Flex Cache. Well, this the Flex Group <laughs> cache, right? So that's yeah. the, that's the destination. Yeah. Right? What happens if that cache destination? Goes offline. What happens there? Um, there's something called disconnected mode. So if the actual flex cache goes offline, right, it, it's just like any other volume, right? Any clients that have mounted that, there's no there's no fallback to the origin, right? So you know it operates just like any other volume. Um, but there is a way there there is a way to uh, to sever the ties from from the flex cache to the origin, right? If you're going over a WAN link, sometimes those WANs fail, right? And there's disconnected mode. So any file that's already cached at the cache will get served to those clients that are that are at the cache. Anything that's not cached at the cache, of course, you can't retrieve from the origin, so it won't be served. Writes to, if you're in disconnected, if you're disconnected, writes won't go through. Okay. So with this remote access layer, are we doing anything special with the inodes like we do with the flex root volume where we add extra pending things to tell it's a flex cache inode or is it just a regular inode? Um, no, we, what we have is we've got a remote entry metafile and a remote index metafile. The remote entry metafile sits on the origin. It, ha it has information on uh, all the inodes that are cached at the caches, what their cache, what the file is, what the cache, is, what the uh, cache v server information is. And then at the, um, at the cache, you have the remote index metafile, which holds all the files that are currently cached. And that's how uh, RAL can invalidate the file at the cache it invalidates it in the rim file so every read has to go consult the rim file and if it's valid it'll serve the data if it's not valid it'll have to go retrieve it from the origin again okay so we're talking a lot about wan latencies and doing this across multiple networks multiple sites my understanding is unlike previous iterations of flex cache we're also able to do this within the same cluster Yep. So what sort of use cases would we have for that? So it's even within the same SVM. So remember we had this thing called load sharing mirrors data volume I thing? Don't I don't remember this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Continue. <laughs> but no, so so you know there there's there's cases where you're you've got local reads on on a cluster on a on a single volume and they just get overrun, right? You got you got a certain number of all affinities in there, and it's going to get overrun. So this uh, this spreads that load across a multiple disks because now we've got a flex group in in front of the origin volume, and b you can put it against multiple different nodes, multiple nodes, different SVM, different lifts. You can spread that load across. So Pranup. With these um, flex cache volumes, and you know, Shreya mentioned EDA workloads. Does this help in the case of mount storms with EDA environments? So absolutely, I think that's that's uh, one way to look at it. Uh, the the key the key benefit flex cache offers is that you could create another data set or uh, call call it a volume, and offload it to a different uh, uh, head or, or a node, a cluster node, and let let the computer of uh, that node be leveraged. For seamlessly access, uh, being accessed by the NFS clients, right? And with by putting a DNS load balancing in the front, you actually could direct the traffic and spread the traffic across multiple heads, and you'll see the automatic benefit of uh, you know mount storms being handled in a most graceful way. So you mentioned DNS load balancing. So the question always becomes, which DNS load balancing should we use with mount storms? 
Um, I, I all, usually we always recommend the external DNS uh, load balancing yes. uh, for for uh, situations like you know uh, mount storms. Yep. Yeah. So the onbox DNS doesn't handle mount storms very well. It can't it can't load balance fast enough to do that. Mm-hmm. We don't. Yeah. We don't learn fast enough to uh, to adapt quickly to the uh, external factors, right? So I think external DNS load balancing is much more fair in that and and much more even evenly balanced across multiple systems that actually have flex caches. So, Shreya, you did an insight presentation on FlexCache. Um, what was some of the reception from that? And also, you know, what other use cases were people bringing up? Right. So I think one thing that people were really happy about at the insight when I did the presentation was how sparse FlexCache is. So we were talking about sparseness being files, like you could only read the files that are read. But it's not just files. Only the blocks that are read are cached on the cache location. So that seemed like immense benefit to customers because uh, if you have a working set of data, 10%, you don't really have to create like the uh, replicate the full volume. You're just re- replicating and creating the space for the blocks that are being read. So that that was a very well taken point, and I think uh, I'm really excited of, about how much space savings a customer will get just because they're just pulling out the blocks that they read. The other use cases that they're interested in are cloud bursting. Uh, they customers see a lot of value add for FlexCash with cloud, and we are actually actively working on getting that um, as soon as possible. So you mentioned um, the the capacity, right? So saving space and you know having pointers to blocks sounds kind of like a reverse fabric pool almost. You know what? Actually, fabric pool and FlexCash work together perfectly well. Imagine a single volume where you could cache the hot data, tear the cold data. You could do both of that on that single volume. So that's going to be a very good use case for customers to be able to do both on the exact same data set. Can we do both today? Yes. Sweet. Yeah. Initial right. release fabric pools are awesome. And yet that also brings me to the other point about capacity. This license is a little different than previous licenses for FlexCache. How does that work? It is. There is a license for flex cache. Um, it is only on the cache capacity, though. So if you had 10 cache volumes, the sizes of all those 10 cache volumes are aggregate, aggregated at a cluster level. So you don't have to buy a license for each node of your cluster. It is at the cluster level. All the sizes are aggregated and applied towards a capacity-based license. There is also a term to that license, so you could buy it in uh, for a term of one year or three years. So it essentially becomes a OPEX versus a CAPEX, um, um, you know, uh, budgeting item. Um, also, uh, the, the capacity is different for both ONTAP Select and uh, AFS and FAS. So on AFS and FAS, you would have to buy in chunks of 5 terabytes. On ONTAP Select, you could go as little as 1 terabyte across the entire cluster. Sounds like we're doing a lot of things with ONTAP Select to make it a lot more cost-effective and just more palatable in general. I think ONTAP Select and FlexCache have a very good affinity to each other, especially in the remote office, branch office kind of use cases. Um, so you don't really have a lot of storage admins managing, uh, you know, the storage. You could totally use like a any server lying around, just quickly fire up a non-tap and then have cache data so you have access to the data that you need without having to create a replication of entire data set. The other good use case with ONTAP Select is a cloud-like compute on-prem. So say you have like a really compute-intensive workload, but that was for a short time. So you don't really want to buy another four-node cluster just to address that compute. 
what you could do instead is to fire up an on-tap select instance and then cache data on that. So when you when you have this high compute need, you have these extra compute servers from the on-tap select. And once you're done with it, you could delete your caches, you could fire down your select, and you are left with your original um, AFF or FAST configuration. So another use case that kind of, that comes to mind for me is home directories, and it brings to mind a lot of discussions I've seen out there where people ask, do we have a solution where we can basically centralize data access, control the locking mechanisms for NFS v4 and SMB, uh, as well as, you know, NFS v3. Now, that said, I mean, NFS v3, this is a good use case, right? We can, we can do that today with home directories. But Chris, that brings us to the other point. What can we not do today with FlexCache and what can we do in general? Yeah. <clears throat> so currently you've got NFS v3 at the cache, right? Uh, the origin, you can still do SMB, S NFS v4, NFS v3. But at the cache, you can only do NFS v3. Um, right now, it, as of ONTAP 9.5, we're not supporting quotas or queue trees on the origin. Um, but, you know, we, we definitely have a good vision of what we're going to bring in, what, what's on the roadmap, right? What are we, we're committed to this thing called FlexCache and global namespace and, and all that good stuff. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what we got so far, but there's more coming. So you mentioned you can't do quotas or queue trees in the origin volumes. Mm-hmm. So yep. okay. So if I'm already using something where I'm using quotas or queue trees, I kind of have to hold off on flex. Yeah, unfortunately, at the moment, yeah, that's the that is the case. Okay. So Pranup, what are some of the technical reasons why things like SMB and NFS v4 did not make it into this release for FlexCache? It's mainly mainly for the uh, schedule and execution reasons, but you know, like I, like I mentioned before, right? From architecture standpoint, you know, the the old Legacy Seven Mode project was primarily designed for NFS VP uh, protocol, right? Uh, if I may recall, if if I may uh, remind everyone, I think NFS V4 and SIFs are a bit more complex in the the statefulness of the protocol, right? And distributing data and log state across multiple sites and keeping it uh, consistent um, along with the data. Uh, is, is sort of a bigger challenge than uh, than uh, what we had uh, anticipated, right? Uh, but we did actually uh, make the improvements in the architecture to go support that. Uh, for me, it's just a matter of time. So, how are we planning on addressing this? And you know, be be as I guess vague as possible if you want, if it's proprietary, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, how do, how do we plan on addressing the locking piece? Right? Are we mirroring these locks? I mean, how are we going to do that? So I think if you, um, I think Chris, Chris has uh, sort of covered, you know, what is the the primary engine for uh, FlexCache? Uh, the primary engine is called Remote Access Layer, which enables the transport of the the enables the uh, the integration of the uh, caching with the uh, you know data transport. Right? Um, now locking is a different abstraction, right? You know, in a way, RAL sort of helps us deal with uh, you know making sure that the uh, on a profile basis, making sure that the uh, the cache is coherent by acquiring a global sort of a lock on a particular inode, uh, depending on whether you're reading or write. But to me, locking is more about uh, providing coherency for the application, right? So the primary technique we'll use there is going to be more around caching the locks uh, from origin to the caches, uh, so that we can enable key, uh, you know, primarily read-only operations on the cache itself, so that the cache doesn't really have to go to origin and validate the lock state. So you're right. I mean, with the combination of RAL, uh, which enables coherency at the data level, and with uh, log caching, which enables coherency at the log state level, 
we should be able to achieve a fully coherent uh, uh, NFSV for SIPs compliant uh, uh, flex cache. Yeah, and I suspect that'll make a lot of people happy. That's been something that's been asked for for I don't know how long, a while. <laughs> Even yep. before we had when we had the original flex cache, because we could only do NFSV yeah. three, right? When are we going right. to do SIFs? <laughs> when are you yep. going to do SIFs? When are you going to do SIFs? <laughs> now it's when are you going to do SMV? Because not yeah. SIFs anymore. <laughs> yeah. So um, as far as FlexCache goes, you know, what sort of future vision do we have for the technology? What do we plan on doing with it on the on a whole, like a holistic approach? So, um, I mean, we have covered some use cases here, right? I'll, I'll summarize it in a different way. Um, our vision for FlexCache is uh, seamless access to data uh, everywhere, uh, um, say anywhere, as well as on any platform. Right? Uh, let's talk about uh, everywhere or anywhere. Right? Uh, it could be edge, it could be cloud, it could be um, on-prem data center. Right? Uh, let's talk about the platform side of things. Right? We want to be able to support this on, uh, you know, on tap select, which is our software-defined story. Uh, we want to be able to support this on on tap cloud, which is in the cloud. And of course, on-prem with our AFF and FAST. Um, NetApp is actually a data management company. If you look at uh, how we have how we have been successful, uh, data management is the strongest value proposition that we have. And our key motto for FlexCache is: while providing the benefit of seamless data access everywhere on in on in and on every platform, we would want to keep that value of the data management as is. Right? No changes to how customers implement their backup workflows or disaster recovery or anything like that. FlexCache will be fully compliant with all the data management principles. Um, now, how, how are we going to go in phases? You know, obviously, it's a, it's a big charter for us to actually execute on. So we started with a very small use case, and you heard from Shia and actually Chris about how it works and what we are delivering in 9.5. But our vision states that you know, we are going to be supporting cloud uh, plat as a platform, uh, whether it's actually on tap cloud or you know, our, uh, you know, uh, the enterprise, enterprise uh, branded uh, Azure NetApp files or you know uh, NetApp files everywhere in Amazon and uh, uh, in, in other clouds. Uh, we are going to be supporting there, um, and we will support it on ONTAP Select, uh, like I mentioned before. Um, that's going to be the key next step for us. Uh, then we evolve into the other protocols, right? I mean, I've mentioned you know SIFs and NFSV4 are a bit difficult, but we are committed and our architecture is fully compliant. Um, so then after that, we'll actually transition from if you think about the current use cases, they are more about data distribution, primarily read-only. You're distributing data across multiple sites. You know your core files. Uh, you know NetApp ITA, for example, historically has used FlexCache to distribute core files and tool sets across multiple sites. And you know I expect many customers to use it that way in the short term. But now, once we talk about the data distribution, we have to get into the realm of uh, collaboration. Uh, collaboration actually has a different meaning in the sense that. Uh, if, if I want to collaborate with you know a few engineers across the across the uh, different time zones or whatever, you know I want to be able to uh, operate on my data uh, in the most performant way, as well as uh, uh, you know uh, very close to where I am, so that you know I can make my updates. And by following the Sun model, by the time actually my Bangalore team wakes up, they should be able to operate on the same data, right? So, but collaboration has a different meaning in the sense that I cannot tolerate van latencies when I'm really operating on the data, but I need to have a seamless way to actually uh, move the updates to the different sites so that you know they can operate on the data in parallel as well. So to me, architecturally, we are going to get into the realm of you know uh, write-back architecture, where 
instead of actually uh, reading the reading the cache and being able to write all the way to the origin with write back i'll be operating on writing the cache writing to the cache system first and be able to seamlessly synchronize in a in, with a geo distributed locking mechanism all the way to the origin right so you get the best of both worlds for some workloads whether there are read only the write through or write around is what we call it uh, where you uh, uh, cache down the cache and be able to and, and uh, write, write directly to the origin that architecture makes more sense but for collaboration use cases where you want to get the local land performance write back makes sense so once we enable the write back for me it's actually a beginning of netapp or you know on tap in a uh, you know in in the edge and robo with our software defined story we can actually easily put netapp uh, on tap software defined stack along with flex cache anywhere on any device if you ask me uh, and be able to synchronize the data and be able to uh, um, orchestrate the data management in a central location but at the same time give you a feel of global namespace across across all endpoints whether it's edge core cloud or any device and to me that's uh, you know uh, a good uh, for me this is a good really a feature for us to be successful in the iot space not just iot but also machine learning and ai right absolutely uh, i mean if you if you have a distributed, if, you, if your application is distributed in a, uh, in nature by by definition, uh, and you want to be able to uh, have a central and global view of the data, anywhere anywhere you have the requirement, FlexCache is the right uh, product. So it sounds like FlexCache 1.0, I'll call it, is almost like a replacement for LS mirrors, so to speak, right? Absolutely. Initially, right? For that one. Um, but future releases are going to bring more robust feature sets. Chris, for the initial release, what are some of the best practices and do's and don'ts for this FlexCache stuff? Well, uh, first of all, best practices, of course, is size, right? What 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 am I going to make my FlexCache size? What we've seen uh, in the past with looking at all the ASAP data from from all the seven mode systems that have FlexCache, we're looking at 10 to 15% of the origin, right? So you have a one terabyte origin volume, you make your cache 100 gig. That works. Um, of course, for performance, right out out of the box, when you create a a flex cache, you get four constituents. If you need to tweak that, of course, you go to whose whose TRs do we go to for flex group? I don't know the guy, but it's TR four five seven one. Best practice guide. <laughs> yeah, but you, you get the flexibility of tweaking the flex group in order to do if you if you need to do any performance. Um, the other thing, of course, we've mentioned it. This is for read-heavy workloads. Make sure you're you're doing about 80, 80 20 reads to writes. Um, that's about it. I mean, the, the, there's a lot of ze- it's zero touch, right? You create the flex cache, let it go, and watch it watch it watch it flourish. Watch the magic. Watch the magic. That's right. Um, so yeah, it really is yep. watch the magic. Um, let me quickly talk about the demo that I gave at Insight, which was very well taken. So what we did was we showed media rendering uh, and uh, a van, uh, two two offices bit, uh, with a 100 Mbps network and a 60 millisecond van latency, and uh, the we're trying to access a 250 MB file without flex cache. It took close to a minute actually. You know how much time it took with flex cache? Uh, tell me. One tenth of it. One tenth of that time. That's that sounds like that'd be good. 
Yeah, I know. And if you had to repeat it all over again, you're saving a lot of time uh, for the users and a lot of, I mean, removing a lot of frustration, really, because they're no longer waiting for the files to arrive, but actually doing the work they're supposed to be doing. So that's one tenth the time for the initial gather, or is that for the subsequent accesses of the file? The subsequent accesses. Actually, let me be frank here. The initial gather is going to take you a little bit longer than if you had to go with a van. And think of it because it is two reads and one write. The client is trying to read from the cache. It cannot because the file is not there. It is going to the origin, reading from the origin, writing to the cache, and then serving the data. So there is a little bit of an expense uh, to warm up the cache. But the magic is in the subsequent reads. And that's why FlexCache really shines in workloads where there is a read heavy and also the same data being read over and over again, you would really see a lot of performance benefits. And you're saying that the cache is persistent. Right? Yeah. It's written to the disk. And what that means is it's highly available. If you have a local cluster, uh, if, you're, if you have an edge side where you're deployed on tap select, it's highly available. And you'd be able to uh, you know, see the local uh, land latencies as soon as the data lands on the uh, flex cache. So you mentioned it's persistent. Does this live there forever, or does it eventually purge at some point? So it eventually purges, right? Uh, right now, it's only on size. So if you get up to 80 90%, right, we're going to start purging and purging the, the least reused data and uh, replace it with the newer data, right? So you're, eventually, you probably will get a cache that's always 80 90% full. And this release and future releases, we're going to have time to live. We're going to have other things, other ways to purge. But <clears throat> in ONTAP 9.5, all we got is uh, purge on size. And besides that, I mean, if you are constantly at 89%, to 9%, you could just grow the cash. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> one of the cool things. You can use auto grow and give it a limit and say, hey, I only want this cache to go up to whatever, and then AutoGrow will kick in and, and grow your grow your flex group. So naturally, if we were using this uh, cache on flash storage, it would be a lot faster. Is this, is this appropriate for spinning disk as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's no reason to, to do it on, not do it on spinning disk, right? Because you can, it's it's just widening the the uh, the surface that your clients can hit. So if one hits flash, one hits spinning disk, you know, you get you get the benefits. You mean this is a feature I can use that is an AFF only? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you actually could use it with AFF and fast together, or even AFF on tap on tap select together. Imagine your origin being on AFF and your caches on FAS or uh, on tap select. You could mix and match to choose whatever workload you want to address. So it's really flexible. Yeah, and naturally your remote sites probably wouldn't be running AFFs, right? They'd be running on tap select and, or yeah. maybe a lower lower level FAS, and they could access this cache and get good performance even though they're on these smaller systems. Well, cool thing is, think about this. You're, you've, got your, you've got the origin on spinning disk. All you have is just a little, a couple things of, of SSDs. You put your flex cache on there, you're automatically accelerating your, your origin volume. So that brings another question. Can we use this with FlashPool? Yes, of course we could use it with FlashPool. I mean, the, it's, it's a normal volume. So FlashPool is going to cache those those reads a, again, right, at the flex cache. It, in, it, it operates just as it would with any other volume. So I could put I have cash on top of my cash. You got caches, bro. Cash rules everything <laughs> around me. Yep. All right. Um, anything else we want to cover with this? I think we've gotten most of the pertinent information. Did I miss anything? 
Well, one thing I want to pull out, Pranup said this earlier, but one thing I want to pull out, right? So you have caches all over the place. How many data strata, data, data recovery strategies or, or any data strategies do you need? You only need one for the origin. Oh, yeah, that's data protection. The, that's the only volume you have to snap mirror. That's the only volume you care about with Fabric Pull. That's the only volume you have to worry about. Any other thing? If the cache gets if the cache gets erased, oh well, you have it all in your origin volume. So that brings a question: What if I want to maintain that cache? I want to make sure it survives issues. Can I snapshot it and use that sort of technology, or is that available? No, no, you got to do everything at the origin, right? So the the caches are are sparse, and you literally it takes probably sixty seconds to create a cache. It's one command, and the data is available immediately. Granted, that first read over the WAN. If if you're over the WAN, it's going to be expensive. If you're not, it could be. It could just be just like another uh, indirect read. But you know that's why you don't really need the sh- snapshots at the cache. It's immediately. Um, you can create another one immediately. Right. Can I can so I create I've... an LS mirror for these caches? I'm kidding. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Pranup, continue. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I mean, eventually, you know, we will support the uh, metro cluster with uh, fetch caches, and we should be able to uh, do a zero RPO failover as well. Uh, you know, I, I think from that standpoint, fetch cache is treated like a first class citizen, right? You should be able to. I mean, like I said, the cache is persistent; it'll survive the failovers. Uh, if you're a metro cluster, it'll survive uh, survive the uh, disaster, right? Uh, but the idea behind fetch cache was to um, seamlessly uh, you know access data anywhere right it is not not uh, meant to create a uh, another data management container with a different set of copies and etc right now as an architect would i rule out eventually uh, you know taking a cache uh, populating a cache and uh, fully populating a cache and converting it to a primary volume i, I wouldn't rule it, rule that out right that could be a good use case right but uh, end of the day origin volume which is a regular flex wall volume or eventually the flex group volume that you'll use, that's the data management container. Uh, that's where we expect customers to do data management. And in my opinion, that's the right way to do it because there's one side where you do the data management and but you're providing access everywhere else. So that's the spirit of flex cache. So that brings up another question I just thought of. If I delete a bunch of data out of the origin and I've already got it cached in my cache over here, what happens to that data? Does it purge itself or do I have to delete it? So, again, you got the RIM file, right? And and basically that that invalidates the data. The data still sits there. It's not going to automatically um, it's not going to automatically delete itself at this point. The data, the blocks are still used, but as soon as as soon as the size reaches a certain, and we have to reuse those blocks, then we'll just purge the data. Is there a way for me to kick off a purge on my own? Not at this point. Not in nine five. We will we will be bringing bringing something like that in the future, but not in nine five. So if I deleted a ton of data, would it just make more sense to delete that cache and start over? Not really. I mean, you're not. It's just taking up space, right? If you want a free space, That's space, man. I mean, it's, definitely, it's yeah, up space. Yeah. If, if, if you ha- if you don't have the space, if you're space hungry, yeah, sure, good. Just go create another cache. But if you're not space hungry, it's not hurting you. It's not taking up. It's just taking up blocks, right? It's just dirty blocks, dirty blocks done dirt cheap. Um, Shreya Pranup, anything else for us? You know. One interesting tidbit I'll share is, uh, you know, we conceive FlexCache, uh, like I mentioned, to be 
to start with, you know, seamless uh, get access anywhere. Then we said we'll go after cloud. Uh, then we'll look into more of collaboration use cases, and then we'll play play this out, the architecture in the IoT and edge use cases, right? Uh, we had not anticipated FlexCash to be, uh, you know, in the mindset of customers. You know, the first feed feedback we got from customers was, hey, uh, you know, this is almost like a cash on demand, but actually, can you make this a little bit more intelligent to distribute, uh, always pre-populate the cash, right? We certainly have that in the plans. Um, so it's interesting, you know, if, you know, you, you know our email addresses, you know, if you feel like there's a interesting use case that you can come up with, you know, please let us know. We'll definitely think about it. Shreya, anything else? Um, I think that's it. We've covered most of it. All right. All right, Chris, Shreya, Pranoop, thanks so much for joining us today and enlightening us about the latest and greatest FlexCash iteration here. Um, again, Chris, if we want to reach you, how do we do that? That is on Twitter at at AverageGuyX. And Shreya. Um, it is S-H-R-I-Y-A at NetApp.com. And finally, Pranoop. P-R-A-N-O-O-P at NetApp.com. All right. We'll include those in the show notes so you can also access them there if you don't feel like stopping your car and writing these things down because most people listen to this in the car, but whatever. All right. Thanks so much. All right. That music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at NetApp.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Chris Hurley, Shreya Paramkasam, and Pranup Irasani for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.